Well, good evening, everyone. Oh, that's loud. <laughs> How about we pray as we come to God's Word tonight? Father, as we come to your Word, may your Spirit be with us. May it change us to be conformed more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's for his sake that we ask. Amen. Well, last year I was walking down the street with a, a friend of mine and we'd had a few conversations over uh, the years about Christianity. And I said to her, what do you think a Christian is? And, you know, I was doing it to try and get the conversation moving. Uh, and her answer to me was, a Christian is someone who follows the Ten Commandments. And I think that's a pretty standard answer for a lot of people. I think if you ask someone on the street, they might say something along those lines, or they might say, it's to be a good person. Or my personal favorite is when they say, thou shalt not, and then follow it with a bunch of things that most people think are fun. I always love that one. Now, tonight, if you were to stumble upon a Bible for the first time and you open it up to tonight's passage, it would be pretty easy to get the same uh, thoughts, you read through it and go, oh, it's just a list of don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. But that's not what Paul is talking about. That's not his point. So to understand what Paul is saying, we need to have a clear understanding of the whole book of Ephesians. Now, I know we've been going through it. We've had a, a week off or so. So I thought it would be helpful for us to go through the first um, three chapters just to see where we've come. Because otherwise, we don't get a full understanding of what this passage says. Now, chapters 1 to 3, it's all about what God has done for us in Christ, or the technical word for it is doctrine. And the second half of Ephesians is all about the practice, how we then, in response to what God has done for us, how we live that out. Now, if we just have doctrine and we don't have practice, then we become a hypocrite, right? Or if we just have practice without knowing why we do it, then we're left in legalism or moralism. Now, both these are wrong. We need to have a clear understanding of both the doctrine and the practice. If we don't, we're going to end up in a bad place. Okay, so let me just quickly go through the start of Ephesians. Not a time to tune out. I know we've, we've been there, but it's really helpful to get a really clear understanding. So, okay, you ready? Here we go, chapter 1. Now, the start of chapter 1, Paul reminds the Ephesians of what He's what God has done for them. He's like a seven-year-old boy who's telling us what he got for Christmas. It says he chose us. He made us blameless. He adopted us as his children. He redeemed us. He lavished his grace upon us. He loved us. He forgave us. And on and on he goes. Now, did you notice our part in all of those things? We had nothing to do with them. It was God that did these things. And what makes it even more amazing is that God did this while we were his enemies. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul reminds the Ephesians that they were spiritually dead and because of sin and they were enemies of God. But then we get the beautiful but. Chapter 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our, in our transgressions. Or again in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Then in chapter 3, Paul reminds the Ephesians of the mystery 
that has been revealed to them through the gospel, that now they are to share in the promises with Christ and part of his family. So do you see what Paul is reminding us of, of at the start of Ephesians? They were once dead, but they've been made alive in Christ. God has taken away their sin, and they are now his children. I think uh, 2 verse 8 sums it up best. You probably know this verse. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's only with this understanding of what God has done for us in Christ that we're ready to come to tonight's passage to see how as forgiven children we are now to live new lives. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 17. Now, it'd be great if you were following along in your Bibles. Now, that's where we'll be spending the rest of our time tonight. So, 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles here just means someone um, who isn't a Christian. It just means a pagan. means someone who they used to be, but now they've been changed. So they are no longer to live like they used to before God intervened in their lives. So how did they live? Well, verse 17, again. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, this is pretty strong language. Paul doesn't mix his words here. Futility of thinking, darkened in understanding, separated from God, ignorant, hardness of heart. And what does Paul say this leads to? Well, verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So do you see what's happening here? Their darkened understanding has led them to darkened deeds. Now, Paul wrote this letter about 2,000 years ago. But if he was alive today, what do you think he would say? Do you think it would be the same or do you think it would be different? What I'm going to do is I'm going to read this again, but I'm going to replace Gentile for people in Newtown. Now, I was thinking about this this morning, and the congregation this morning gave me a good idea on it. What do you call someone who lives in Newtown? So, like in Newcastle, you're called a Novocastrian. What are people in Newtown called? Do they have a name? Newtonian. Well, I got Newtownie this morning. I don't know that. Newtonian? We'll go with that. Okay. (laughs) Let me read it again. You must no longer live as the people in Newtown do in the futility of their thinking. People in Newtown are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, people in Newtown have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Sounds pretty harsh. (laughs) Sounds pretty harsh. And you might be struggling when you hear this. And it's true, it is a hard thing to hear. But I want to ask you, is this a true description? Not just of people in Newtown, but of the world. Is this a true description? 
Okay, so that's how they used to live. But what does Paul say they are to do now that they've been made new? Okay, so verse 20, following along. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So what were they taught? Well, they were taught that the truth was in Christ. And this was in direct contrast with what they used to think. They heard the word of truth, they believed it, and they came to know Christ. But they didn't just learn about Jesus. They learned that following him demanded a totally new life. Okay, so they heard about Jesus. They came to put their faith in him for what he had done for them. So what does Paul say they must do? Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, which is created like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what were they to do? They were to put off their old self and put on the new self. Now it's a bit like clothing. He's saying, take off your old clothes that used to belong to your old self and put on the new clothes that belong to who you are now. Now, it's really important here to say that what Paul isn't saying is to clean up your old clothes as if we could do that by being good. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying put on the new self, put on Christ. They weren't to make themselves new. God already did that. They were to put on Christ and his righteousness. I love the words to the old hymn, My Hope is Built. We're actually going to sing it later on. The last verse says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O then may I in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. So they were to put on Christ and his righteousness. What Paul's really getting at here is identity. As Christians, we have a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. You are no longer your old self. We have been made new in Christ. You see it in verse 24. It says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our new identity has been recreated This is our new self. We have been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we really need to get this. We need to have a clear understanding of this because it's a clear understanding of this that leads to what we do. Having a clear understanding of who we are in Christ is what leads to new actions. Now often I think we think that it's what we do leads to who we are. So if I commit murder, that makes me a murderer. Or if I'm a good bloke and help people out, then I'm a nice guy. Or, I'll be careful with this one, if I can't play cricket, I'm an Englishman. (laughs) This morning that got booze, so I'm glad I didn't get any booze. But do you see what Paul's saying here? It's the exact opposite of the way we think. We think It's what we do leads to who we are. But this passage is saying who we are leads to what we do. Do you see the difference there? Jesus says it this way. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
It's what comes from inside to our actions. So verse 23, be made new in the attitudes of your minds and put on the new self. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about knowing who we are and then living it out. Our new identity leads to new actions. If we claim to be in Christ, if we claim to be a Christian, our new identity must lead to new actions. And it's only now that we get to the therefore in the passage. Now, there's, I think there's five main things that Paul talks about in, in the next few verses, in verses 25 to 32. That being anger, lying, honest work, how we talk with other people, and forgiveness. And as we look at them, I want you to see that they're all about relationships, how we relate with other people. Now, it could, it could be that as we talk about them, it gets quite personal and confronting. But I want, want us to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, are these areas where we haven't put up our old self? For me, this in the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing for this, it's been, it's been pretty tough as I've read through these verses, seen who God has made me in Christ, and then seen so many areas in my life where I, to some extent, it looks like I'm not changing. So it's been a, it's been a real challenge to me and a real call to now that I'm being made new in Christ. Okay, let's have a look. First one, lying. Anyone ever lied before? No? (laughs) Well, you're all liars now, so there you go. (laughs) Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Pretty simple, right? Don't lie. Instead, speak the truth. Pretty easy. But what does it mean? Now, I don't, I don't think it means we get a license to be rude. I don't think it means when someone comes up to you, you can just go, wow, you look really ugly today. I don't think that's what it's saying. Remember, these things are about relationships. Paul says, for we're all members of one body. Lying destroys relationships. Lying ruins trust. As well as that, it's usually... The reason we usually lie is to cover something up that we've done or to make ourselves look good. Let me ask you, what is it that you're tempted to lie about? The Bible says we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. It says we are to be people who speak the truth in love. Our new selves are to put off lying and to put on truthfulness, just as we've been saved from the lie and brought into the truth that is in Christ. Okay, number two, anger, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I think we normally get angry because we think we're better than other people because you have inconvenienced me. Don't you think it's interesting the things that make us angry? You can tell a lot about a person by what makes them angry. Now, since moving uh, to Sydney, my anger levels, I think, have skyrocketed a bit coming from the peaceful town of Newcastle and moving down to the, the big bad city, Sydney traffic has been killing me. Now, last week it took me an hour and a half to go 20 kilometres and I was just crazy angry in the car. But what I noticed as I was sitting there just getting angrier and angrier, 
was that all I was thinking about was myself. That's what makes me angry, getting stuck in traffic. It shows how self-centered I am. What I should be angry about are the things that God gets angry about, like injustice and poverty, and more important than that, the sin in my own life and the belittling of God's name. But those things barely make it onto my radar. Now, I don't think Paul's saying you can't be angry. Now, there's going to be times where we get angry, and there's right reasons to be angry. Jesus got angry. I think that's part of being in relationships with people. But Paul does give this warning. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Deal with it means going to that person, telling them that they've made you angry, and dealing with it. And what happens when you don't deal with it? Well, Paul says it gives the devil a foothold. When you don't deal with your anger, it leads to sin. Is there someone that you're angry with at the moment? Take this warning. Deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. So instead of sinning in your anger, our new selves is to be someone who doesn't let this anger lead to sin. Okay. Honest work, 20, uh, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now this is about more than just physical stealing, going into a shop and taking something that isn't yours. It's about taking things that aren't yours. So things like it could be sick days when you're not sick. It could be not putting in the proper amount of effort at your work or in your studies. I think we, we can be so lazy with our time, wasting it on useless things like TV and surfing the net and games. Not that they're bad things, just we waste so much time. But instead, our call is to do useful things with our hands. And why are we to do that? So we can share with those around us, with those in need. We don't just stop stealing for the sake of stopping stealing. We, we stop stealing and we do useful things so that we can share with those around us. The opposite of selfishness is generosity. Because of the generosity that God has shown us by giving us his only son, our new self is to be generous with those around us. Okay, second last one. How we talk to others. Now, This is a huge struggle for me, this one, and if you know me, you'll probably be aware of that. And I think, if if I'm right, this is a struggle for a lot of people here tonight. Verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I love the sarcastic comment. I love those witty one-liners. But why is it that I do those? Well, I don't think I'm doing it to build them up. I'm doing it to build myself up, to make myself look good. On Sunday, do you worship God with your mouth and then spend the rest of the week putting people down? It says, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. This should not be. What should come out of our mouths is encouragement that builds others up. But to do this, we need to invest in people's lives because it says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. We need to get to know people, know what 
is going to build them up. And I think the best thing that's going to build people up is what we've been talking about tonight, the truth that is in Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing if this was a church, and I think it already is, but even more so, wouldn't this be amazing if this was a church that used its words to build each other up? If As we came on Sunday and as we came to Bible studies and different things we did, we were people who encouraged each other, people who looked out for the needs of others. Now, there's a lot more I could say on this one. The Australian culture of, of tearing people down, the way you guys talk with each other, gossip. But you, you know where this is a, an area of problem for you. And we've been called to something better. Okay, lastly, forgiveness. Verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. The reason we forgive others is because God has forgiven us. Remember from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six fifteen says, If you do not forgive others their sins, neither will God forgive your sins. That's a, a scary verse. If we are not willing to forgive others, then we don't get how much we've been forgiven. How can we not forgive if we really understand what God has done for us to forgive us? Now, I'm not saying this is going to be easy. People can do some terrible things. Part of being in a relationship is people are going to let you down. They're going to sin against you. But our new self is to be one that lives a life of forgiveness that is modelled on the one who has forgiven us. Okay, so let me end where I started tonight. This isn't, I hope, a moralistic or a legalistic sermon, as if we're trying to earn God's favour. Please don't walk away tonight thinking I need to pull my socks up and try harder. That's not what this passage is saying, and I hope that's not what you're hearing tonight. If you are a Christian, you have been recreated in Christ Jesus. Over 35 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds them that they are in Christ In his grace, God has made us his very own children. Chapter 5, verse 1, I love these two verses. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why are we to put off the old self and put on the new self? Because we are God's dearly loved children. We don't do these things so God will love us. We change because God has loved us. If you are a Christian, you have a new identity. You are no longer your old self. You are now in Christ, clothed with Christ. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. We are to live a life of love because he first loved us. This is the power to change. And that's why Paul insists that we do change. Not guilt, not self-help, not pulling up our socks, but the gospel of God's grace, which he has freely poured out for us all. If this is what God has done for us in Christ, then how could we not change everything? How can we keep living the way we used to? If we do, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit, 
which God has given to us. Every time we sin, it's because we have forgotten who we are in Christ. Christ has died to free us from our old way of life, and he has risen to a new life so that we can have a new life. We have been recreated to live new lives. So like Paul, we must insist as well that we no longer live like we used to. We have been bought at a price. So honour God with your body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel of grace. Thank you that you have saved us from our old selves and you have recreated us in Christ. Thank you that now we find our new identity in Christ. Thank you that we are forgiven and made righteous. We ask now that your gospel will so change us. Father, may your gospel be our motivation and our power and the power to change so that we can live the new lives that you have called us to. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.